in the face of death, we often say hopeful things. Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are what we call too good to be true. When someone is given a prognosis that death is imminent due to extensive cancer or some other fatal disease, it's not unusual for someone to respond by saying, well, just hang in there. I know you're going to be okay. I know you will. How do they know that? Are they able to see into the future? Or are they just expressing hope? Are they really saying, I sure hope everything is going to be okay, even though it doesn't look like it? Is hope nothing more than stirring up unrealistic optimism in the face of a pessimistic situation? Or is there more to hope than that? Well, it depends. Depends on what type of hope you're talking about. The generic, run-of-the-mill, everyday hope that we see expressed on a regular basis in life is, for the most part, just wishing for something to be true. And that's okay. That's okay. Optimism in the face of pessimistic situation isn't a bad thing. But it's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not based on the denial of reality. Biblical hope is an expression of confidence in the one who has made specific promises and guarantees to us. Confidence that he will do what he said he would do. On Easter morning, the disciples had lost even biblical hope. They couldn't bring themselves to believe something that they thought to be too good to be true. In fact, it was so hard to believe that they may not have even heard it. Even though Jesus said it several times. Shortly before the transfiguration, Matthew notes that from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He repeated that numerous times. But at his death, they forgot it. When the women went to the tomb on the third day, they weren't going there to see the resurrected Lord. They were going there to anoint his dead body. Not only had they lost hope in general, they had lost hope in the promises of Christ. Obviously, that is something we must never, never do. But having said all that, we must be careful not to assume God will do 
what he's never said he'll do, and then call that assumption hope. Hope based on our assumptions can be very disappointing. In fact, it can be devastating. It can destroy faith. That's why I get so upset when preachers make promises about health and wealth that God never made. Well, Peter didn't fall into that trap. When writing to the Christians in northern Asia Minor, Christians who were already facing discrimination, if not actual persecution, Peter didn't say to them, don't worry. Things won't get as bad for you as they are for us here in Rome. No, you'll never be rolled in pitch and set afire in Nero's arena. You'll never have to face a gladiator sword. Have faith. You'll be fine. Nothing really bad will ever happen to you. That would have been ridiculous. And Peter didn't do it. But in his letters, he did express hope, biblical hope. And yes, we are beginning a study of Peter's epistles this morning. But disappointingly, we've arrived a week off schedule for Easter. So I'm going to skip over the first two verses and save them for the start of 2 Peter. We're going to begin with verse 3, where we find Peter expressing hope, expressing biblical hope, a hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a hope that got him so excited that he exploded in an outpouring of praise and encouragement that originally took the form of one giant 10-verse-long run-together sentence. In that one sentence, we learn some very important facts about the hope we have. A hope that is based on the resurrection and on the promises of God. In those nine verses, we learn about our hope for the future, our hope in the present, and our hope that comes from the past. We begin with hope for the future. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The best hope the world has to offer is a dying hope. Because all earthly hopes end in the grave. We, however, have been born again to a living hope, a hope that goes beyond the grave because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Without him, all of our hopes are short-lived. They eventually die. And we hope 
for the good life, a life of comfort and ease, and end up just hoping to pay the bills. We hope for great opportunities and a fulfilling career, and then we just hope we can keep a job until retirement. We hope for a life that's free from pain and disease and then just hope we can afford our prescriptions. <laughs> if our hopes are tied to the things of the world, we're going to be disappointed. But if our hope lies beyond the grave, nothing can destroy it. And that is where our hope is. That's where it lies. And it's not an unrealistic hope. It's a proven hope. Jesus arose from the dead. And he did so to obtain for us an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Peter says we have a reservation made. A reservation in heaven. And it's a guaranteed reservation. It's on what we might call the master's charge. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and it's protected by the power of God <laughs> through faith. As long as we trust Him, as long as we have faith in Him, He guarantees our reservation. It's guaranteed. Now, we can cancel our account with him. But he will never cancel us. As long as we keep our account open and active, even if we overdraw on occasion or fail to meet an obligation, he guarantees payment. In fact, it's already been made. It's been paid in full. Our reservation is secure. We don't have to worry about the future. And that gives us hope in the present. Verses 6 to 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The fact that our future is secure gives us great joy. It gives us something to rejoice about, even if the present is less than perfect. Now think about it. What, which would you rather have? Everything going well today all the while knowing your future is doomed or a future that is secure. 
facing temporary struggles now. I'm sure you'd opt for the latter. That's not to say that we want trials now or that we rejoice in trials, but if they do come, we can still have that deep-seated, confident joy over the future that enables us to endure the present. And that's not to say it's going to be easy. In order for gold to be purified, it has to be heated until the impurities can be removed. When a goldsmith can see a perfect reflection of his face in the molten gold, he knows it's pure. The same is true for us. It's the heat of trials that brings our imperfections to light and enables the Lord to take them away. And when he sees his face perfectly reflected in our life, the job is done. Until then, we better expect a little heat, maybe a lot of heat. It's not going to be pleasant, but it may be necessary. Only the Lord knows what it'll take to make us perfect. So we trust that he's doing what needs to be done. If we can maintain that faith, even through the fire, we will find praise and glory and honor at the coming of Jesus. And that will make it all worthwhile to be praised and glorified and honored by our Lord. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, will mean more to us than anything this world has to offer. We love him more than anything else, even though we haven't actually seen him. <laughs> and we believe in him, even though we can't presently see him. That's the wonder of our faith. That's the source of our inexpressible and glorious joy. We know we are eternally secure we know salvation is ours, and we aren't just hoping this is true. We know it's true because the past proves it. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. The prophets of old wanted to know what the future held. They wanted to know the, the purposes and the outcome of life on earth. They made careful search and inquiry and were told something strange. They were told that the future was bound up in a Messiah who would come 
and suffer and die and rise again. And that did give them hope for the future. But the primary reason it was given to them wasn't for their sake. It was for our sake. It was given to them so we could look back on what they were told would take place. Because it took place. Hindsight is always clearer than foresight. We know for a fact that what they were told was true because it happened. Just as they were told it would happen. And that same Spirit enabled them to write down what would happen. So the historical record was recorded and preserved for us. We can now look back over thousands of years and see the faithfulness of God. The truth has been revealed to us. God has told us things that He never revealed to the angels. Angels are on a need-to-know basis. He gives them a message and they deliver it. But the message isn't for their sake. It's for ours. We are the ones He longs to save for all eternity. We are the ones who need to know what the future holds so we can handle the present. And He gives us confidence in the future by making sure we understand the past. Our hope is steadfast and sure. It's not a dream. It's not a wish. It's not an escape from reality. It is reality. We know what the future holds for us. We have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away. Reserved for us in heaven and protected by the power of God. All we have to do is trust Him. And we can certainly trust Him. Even when the present is hard and doesn't make sense to us. Because we've seen His Word in the past proven to be true. Our faith isn't shaken when suffering comes our way. We don't give up hope when things take a turn for the worse. We don't even lose hope in that. 